You're listening to The Future of What? This is a panel on innovative marketing taped live at Red Eye headquarters in North Carolina, featuring labels Don Giovanni, Warp, Break World, and Father Daughter. Hello, everybody. I am Portia Sabin. I'm the president of the independent label Kill Rockstars, and I am the host of the podcast The Future of What. Today we are doing a special live broadcast of The Future of What from Red Eye Headquarters, as we all know since we're here. And I wanted to mention that this episode of The Future of What is brought to us by the Hillsborough Tourism Board with support from WHUP and Red Eye, so thanks to you guys. I'm really excited because this is a great panel that we have today. To my left, we have Joe Steinhardt from Don Giovanni Records. We have Stephen Hill from Warp. We have Fergus Denham from Red Eye. Edan Brooke from Breakworld. And Jesse Frick from Father Daughter Records. Our topic for today is innovative marketing techniques, but I wanted to let you know that we can also talk about other stuff. And we have a mic in the back. So towards the end of this, we can take questions for any of this distinguished panel and please feel free to do so. So I want to start with Stephen, because I've picked on you before, so I'm going to pick on you today. Warp has done a lot of really cool marketing things, and in fact, in 2014, you guys won a Libero Award for Boards of Canada. So do you want to tell us a little bit about Warp's approach to marketing and how you guys do it? Sure. The Warp approach to marketing is pretty simple, really. It's just trying to get as close to the art of the artist as possible with the promotion. And it's really that simple. And I think if you start with that kind of philosophy, the ideas are pretty easy after that point. The difficult part is finding that thread sometimes and getting that thread out of the artist and in a way that you think is going to be of interest to the outside world. And that's kind of the tricky part, I guess. But all of the, the campaigns that you run are based on that premise. And some are super elaborate and a bit stupid and you know, quite new, I guess. And some are quite traditional. You know, Sometimes that's the right move. So yeah, it's just really trying not to force an idea onto the people. Just trying to get to that essence is key. What was the Boards of Canada campaign that won the award? The Boards of Canada campaign was a series of clues that originally appeared with Red Eye's help into a few stores on Record Store Day. We literally put five records into five different stores in five different cities around the world and on the hope that someone would not only buy it on Record Store Day but also share it on social media. And weirdly, it worked. <laughs> and that started it. And there were a series of... There was the, the concept of the record was, you know... It's, it's about kind of post-human event and the aftermath of that post-human event. And that's probably all I could say. But one of the things that we talked a lot about were number stations, which were a spy tool. I'm sure if you don't know what a number station was, <laughs> they were a Cold War. It was used especially in the Cold War. And they used to put these, basically people would just read numbers. So it'd be like one, six, two, four, one, just for minutes and hours and spies around the world would know to tune in, and they'd, they'd know codes within these numbers that would give them instructions. 
So people working, you know, in Russia and, and I'm sure vice versa. It was a way to communicate. So we, were, we kind of thought that was fun and it was quite connected to the story. So the band created a series of number station transmissions, basically. And one of those transitions was on the record that went into Record Store Day. So someone bought it for, I don't know, like 10 bucks or something. And it was literally 30 seconds of numbers being read. So then we broadcast these. We had six of them um, because for a particular reason. And they were all coordinates as well. There was so much depth to it. It was ridiculous, to be honest. <laughs> it was proper geeking out. But we broadcast these clues in all kinds of places. So one went out on Radio 1. One went on Adult Swim. You know, one was shown on a screen in Tokyo. And they would just come out of nowhere. People wouldn't really know that they were coming. It would just be between programming. So it sounded pretty amazing on Radio 1, you know, just between two kind of pop dance songs, this kind of strange 30 seconds of discords and numbers. And this was the band's idea? It was our collective idea. We went up there and met the band, which I was very excited about. And we just talked about, we were just talking about how music campaigns had got kind of boring. And we missed that story. You know, we missed that pre-release thing where you'd read, obviously, you'd read like about a song, wouldn't you? And you'd read about like this direction or these influences behind a band, band's new record. And you'd be like, what does that sound like? I need to know. You know, there'd be all this mystery inherent to just not being able to hear it. And, you know, you'd see these features and you'd just be like, whoa, like, I can't wait to hear this. And by the time the album came out, there was already like a pre-understanding of what that album might be. And there was a, you know, a story behind it and a discussion before anyone even heard the album. And we were talking, we were talking about that, really. We were talking about that being something that we all missed from album campaigns in the age of, you know, putting out an MP3 and, you know, letting everyone hear it and, so it was all based around that. It was all based around how do we make a campaign that doesn't release any music and how can we tell the story of the album like a film, like you would with a film trailer. So the ideas from all of this stuff came up in that conversation. But ultimately it was fun, you know? We thought it was funny. Or actually, maybe not funny, but we thought it was interesting and exciting. And we kind of have the crazy confidence that if we think something's interesting and exciting, other people will. So yeah, we thought we'd do it. But you know, tons of people said, no one's gonna get it, no one's gonna get this, no one's gonna care. So it was like, no, they will, they will. Don't and listen to did. the naysayers, right? <laughs> yeah. Just do it, just do it. This isn't It'll for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you brought up a couple of things that I think are really important and probably everyone in this room can relate to, which is the idea of sometimes you have bands who are really invested and excited and enthusiastic about marketing themselves. And not necessarily in those words, because that always sounds terrible. No one's like, I want to market myself. They're like, no. But rather, you know, like just cool ideas like, what could we do? And then you have those bands who like totally don't, who are just like, I just want everyone to get my music by ESP. So do you guys have any, anyone else on the panel want to talk about like an artist that was particularly easy to work with or hard to work with around marketing? Yeah, at Breakworld, we worked with Goth Money. I felt like they just naturally were coming up with ideas and just, you know, marketing themselves on like a daily basis to where it kind of just worked within what we were doing as well because their person, it was six members and each of their personal Instagrams was always like lit. <laughs> so I don't know. They, they were 
very reactive to ideas and you know sometimes had ideas that were completely unrealistic but it was still like refreshing to see someone like really trying to think in different ways in like modern ways but yeah and then I've had the experience of artists who don't really want to like step away from that world as much as possible and leave it to the label to be their voice so they can kind of have a little bit of separation. What did you do for that Goth Money campaign? Well, we decided to actually invest in the photos for the guys and they ended up being very artful and everyone was throughout like the six months of the release, I feel like photos kept on coming out and they were releasing them in interesting ways and you know, everyone loves selfies and like, it was kind of that that idea, like if you have enough iconic, you know, you're just kind of like really making these guys icons. So it, it's it's hard to really know exactly how that translates to sales, but you know, in terms of just introducing like the most beautiful image we could of these people, yeah, I don't know, humanizes them and just makes it more of a subconscious like thinking about them. I mean, we also made a chopped and screwed version of the record, which I'm pretty sure Marcy made in like probably an hour and a half. But we were able to team up with BitTorrent to do a bundle and we ended up getting like half a million downloads on it. So uh, something you said about the photos being iconic and getting out there, I think a lot of times one of the best marketing tools for artists is having some kind of an image and you know whether it's images that they do themselves or whether it's images that the label helps put together and put out there. I always talk about the white stripes when I talk to young bands because I'm just like, they wore red and white. It really worked. Like very simple concept and everybody knew exactly what they were looking at. And I think about a band like Power Bottom on your label, Jesse. And I mean, is it easier, would you say, to market a band that has already got this amazing kind of look so that the photographs themselves are going to be, you know, pretty amazing no matter what. I mean, I think when you work with an artist that has like the level of charisma that they have, everything's easy. <laughs> it's almost too easy. Yeah, they definitely think a lot about their look and how they want to be portrayed and how they, you know, because you just judge someone off of one image. So they think about that a lot. They also work with a lot of photographers that they're close with. So, you know, these people understand their vision and who they are, and they tend to work with people close to them, which I think kind of helps propel, you know, the message they're trying to make. What's been your experience with marketing the band in general? Have people responded really well, or, I mean, compared to other bands on your label? I mean, even when people respond negatively, they eat it up. They just got in a Twitter feud with the guy from SNL like a couple of weeks ago all of Twitter just like went off on him because he did this a story on like the news portion about gender conformity which they're like very into identifying as non-gender uh, non non-binary and queer artists so they just like totally went off on him but it's been interesting with them because they kind of speak for this like unspoken underground revolution that's happening and they're really bringing it to the forefront so yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting seeing like mainstream media and music kind of be a little surprised at what they're doing and it's taking them a while to kind of get accustomed to it. But then they have all of these fans in the underground that are just like helping to lift them up. And also they're having, I mean, news is happening around them. I mean, it, just a few days ago, wasn't it that they had a protest outside one of their shows? Oh, yeah, yeah. But see, that's like what quote unquote would be negative press. 
they like took selfies in front of them and like, you know, were talking about their outfits and how sad they looked in their hoodies. So, you know, they somehow managed to turn anything that like could be potentially disastrous, they like just sprinkle it with glitter and it's totally like fabulous at the end. So yeah, it's, it's been great working with them for sure. Yeah, none of us in this room are jealous of you at all. I have a lot of glitter all over my apartment. Like when they leave, I have to like shake everything out. So don't be too jealous. So Joe, we want to get you in the conversation here. What do you got to say about marketing? Anything? Waste of time? I got a lot of stuff to add to the panel, I hope, but I'm probably the worst person to come in on marketing because in many ways, a label like mine and rejects marketing in many of its kind of forms. We still have to obviously tell people about what we're doing and that's really important, but this concept of marketing as a concept is kind of something that like my label tends to reject and a lot of our artists tend to reject, which makes selling records sometimes more challenging. So we have to figure out how we're going to tell people that stuff without marketing. And obviously at some level you can say all this stuff is marketing, but we don't, we just don't think about it as much, but I hope I can add a lot to other aspects of the panel. And I'm happy to talk to you about like the rejection of marketing and but you know, Joe, your, your rejection of marketing is your marketing. Well, that, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of my point. It's like at some level, right. You can be like, well, this is marketing. And yeah, of course, like, you know, we make stickers for our bands and we put stuff up on YouTube, but a lot of that just feels like creating meaningful content that people are looking for. Like we're not just making to make it's kind of like, okay, I like this band. What would I want if I like this band? I'd like to see videos of them playing. Okay, let's make some videos of them playing for people to find, you know? And yeah, of course, at some level that's marketing, but this sort of broader idea of like strategically figuring out, you know, how we're gonna market for the sake of doing a good marketing campaign just isn't something that like I've ever been interested in. And it's probably to my detriment. So I'm not trying to be like, everyone be like me. I'm just saying, this is the reality. Like I'm sure many of you <laughs> that do the marketing stuff are much more successful at your goals but my goal is not as much to sell as my goal is to avoid marketing and a lot of the corporate stuff. And that is my goal, so I am successful at that. But if your goal is to, <laughs> to sell, you know, if your goal is to raise awareness of Boards of Canada, then that is a really good way to do it. But the budget of that was probably the size of like my entire operation, you know, so. You'd be surprised. <laughs> really? You'd be surprised how much that costs. <laughs> well, that's like, would, basically nothing. Really? In fact. Well, you might be surprised at the size of my operation. Then. <laughs> yeah, he's putting out 300 records as a part-time job. <laughs> it's incredible. Fergus, you want to get in on this? Well, I'd agree with what everyone said, really, about Joe saying that no marketing, that in reality is his marketing campaign. That's his brand. That's kind of what the labels he probably loved in the past did. They'd kind of not do much traditional marketing. They wouldn't hire press. They wouldn't hire radio people. They wouldn't place ads. They'd play shows. And that's a way to get to a very specific demographic who are very interested in what those labels do and kind of agree with their ethos. And then with the Warp Boards of Canada campaign, that's obviously appealing to a very high aesthetic. And that's a reflection of that band and kind of what Warp does, I'd say. So... I'd say most marketing is like um, the job of marketing is to just to amplify what an artist represents. And Joe's marketing is all about that. It's like keeping it real, not spending money on things that he doesn't think are important or won't make a difference. But for his bands, it's really key. And, you know, there's a mystery to Warp Records, I think, that's really interesting. And so they put out records that are quite challenging to a lot of people. They always have a high aesthetic. 
And that campaign, I was not aware of that campaign. Why would I be? It's super underground. I wasn't listening to Radio 1 at the right time. I didn't go into record store day and find that record. But for their fans, that would have been unbelievably exciting, I would think. Yeah. You know, there's some record. It's got some weird on it. I don't know what it's going on about. I've been to the coordinates. There's nothing here. Or there's like some, there's like some concrete structure. What the f***? And then there's a record. Oh, then there's a record comes out and it's like really well received with traditional marketing campaigning behind it. But the seeding of that campaign makes it a really unique release. Those things work on loads of different levels. And as Stephen said, it's like that's a reflection of where the artists are and the label. And it, that's kind of when marketing works. It's like when everybody's thinking about what their ultimate goal is and then what an interesting path to it. Because there are, you know, traditional marketing, which is what most labels do, does work and is usually a good reflection of those labels. But sometimes you can have a lot of fun with like something that's kind of extreme or kind of interesting, or you've got a very small budget, or you've got a huge budget and you can do things that are just entertaining, even if it's only entertaining for the people in the label. If you have a success with that campaign, then you can retrace those steps and then talk about the key moment was this crazy idea that no one really knew about, but like it can, they can be really significant in those kind of campaigns, I think. And I think photographs, image is really key to how you promote bands, I think. It's like, because there's a lot of music out there, but striking images can really stand out and really make people pay attention to, oh, they look really interesting. And I'd agree with the White Stripes. They had an aesthetic from the off and stuck with it. And it's literally brilliant, I think. You know, they always look good and you understood where it came from. And you thought, this is a band that cares about every angle. Everything they did has that aesthetic. It's like, that's a complete marketing campaign. And they still do it with Third Man, I think. It's all thought about. Everything they put out is thought about very carefully. And I think that's really important because it makes people who buy into that really buy into it and kind of go with it forever. Well, I think I'm sort of on, the, on Joe's tip about marketing because it's hard to imagine me being a marketer. I'm not very good at it. It's not like where my brain goes immediately. But it is fun to have to work with different artists because artists bring so much to the table. And I, whenever I think about marketing campaigns, the only thing I ever think about is the win a date with Marnie Stern competition that we held. Do you guys remember that at Red Eye? I lost. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Explains a lot about your life, actually, that you lost. That was really fun, and that was totally Marnie's idea. So she was really into it. And that was a campaign that did itself. Like, we didn't have to do anything. It was just so hilarious, and people loved it. But then there's other bands where, you know, they have no interest, and you're like, cool, that's fine. We're just going to put it out on this release date, and you guys play some shows, and there we go.
That was Full of It by Summer Cannibals. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. This is a panel on innovative marketing taped live at Red Eye headquarters in North Carolina. How do you think, in general, marketing has changed now that we are living in our digital economy, our streaming world? Well, it's been completely co-opted by a bunch of middlemen corporations that are now trying to take over it for all of us is how it's really changed. So it used to... (laughs) I mean... It used to all be kind of at least in the hands of the labels, right, to be creative, to think of some stuff to do. Now what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to market on their platforms with their platforms and sell your own list to yourself. They're saying, yeah, like, get your fan list on Facebook, get it on Twitter. Now we're going to sell it to you, and if not, we're going to sell it to the other labels. And so that, that's sort of the future of marketing has been the corporations coming in and trying to have you market on their platforms. And it's largely, as far as I can tell, for no reason. And I think... It's something that I got drawn into really quickly when it started because it seemed so easy and appealing. And then I didn't have a chance to take a step back for a while because I was just like, okay, this is what we're doing now. And if you take a step back, it actually makes no sense. If you look at the, the cost of reaching one of your fans, which could be someone that's never heard of the label but a Facebook fan on Facebook, it'd be cheaper to send them a postcard in the mail. And I think the postcard in the mail will be a lot more effective. And you could send a postcard to someone that's ordered a record from you before. You could send them a letter. You could, you could do so much more with that money than get to scroll through a, a Facebook post. But we've just been kind of like convinced that's so much easier. We're going to like do that now. And I, it took me a couple of years before I took a step back. But when I started taking a step back, I was like, I gotta, we got to stop doing any of this stuff. You know, passively maybe. Like, yeah, if something happens, post it on Facebook, but post it on Twitter. But I think they're trying to push the future of marketing into something that we as labels have no control over, and it's all controlled by three or four corporations, be it Spotify, Google, Apple, whoever the winners and Amazon, whoever the winners end up being. But they have no interest in music. They'll market our same lists to a film company. They'll market it to a, to a fashion company, right? They just want us to give them all this information that we could use, but they're actually going to really use it and make it harder for us to use. And so I think we got to all be like really careful about where are sort of coziness with a lot of these companies as they try to make, they try to control the future of marketing. And I'm saying this one that doesn't really market, like I said, but I, but at the same time, they're trying to control what marketing is going to be. But that's only if we decide we're going to let them do that. I, I totally agree. I think it's, it's true. You know, the thing is, you do these things and the mar- marketing is such a dirty term, you know. But really, I don't, I think we shouldn't even use that word because it's so la- loaded. You know, really, it's communication about the artists. And that's, that's all all of us do. You know, and and I totally agree. I think all of that is utterly true. And there's there's another element about these channels that I really hate is they 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 just white label everything. You know, it's like going to the point Fergus was making about the aesthetic just being so important. And you know, like for us, a lot of our bands don't tour. You know, so we're having to find ways to like engage on a long term basis. I mean, Boards of Canada haven't played a show since 20, 2004. You know, and they're not gonna. You know, and realistically, they're not going to be interested as soon as the album comes out because they're done and they want to go into their hole again and make another record for 10 years. So you have to kind of find ways to keep people in the public eye. You know, that's what we're all doing, really. But the way that, you know, a tweet is just so dull and a Facebook post is so ugly and, you know, streaming services generally, you know, the aesthetic is just such a secondary thing. I mean, it's a database. And it's that's sad to me, the fact that, you know, 
we all the best way to enjoy a record you know and have the artwork and have it be tactile i think we all kind of miss those things but there, i guess the flip side is you know you're able to film a band for you know very cheap or no money and you're able to distribute it the next day for free so there's like a flip to that you know whereas five years ago ten years ago you've had to you know manufacture dvds and send it out and you know it, it completely brings the creation of the art with the actual consumption of the art which is great for all of us you know that's the flip of it but i, th I think that flips how they kind of got us right they started by making it a lot easier and then once we got hooked on it, now it's harder. Today I can upload a video and you can watch it tomorrow. In a year or two, they're going to want to charge me to sell you that video. And they're going to say, no one's going to see it unless you pay money. Or worse, what they're going to do is they're going to sell those same eyeballs to like Sony. Or, you know, one of the people that we're working actively against. They're going to say, oh, we have found the people that like this. Now Sony can buy them unless you want to pay more for them. Well, they're definitely already doing that. They are, right? but, but there's still room for some free stuff. I'm saying they're already starting. Any day now it's just going to be it's going to be closed off the way things are going because corporations have to keep making money and how do you keep doing it? That's what you're... But that was always the case, wasn't it? In this country, like radio was really expensive to get on. There was hardly any options. Then MTV came along and it was like, you had like thousands of radio stations, then you had one channel and you had to make million pound videos to get on right. it. And then... And, and I remember the last time we made a video for MTV, supposedly for MTV, and it cost... It, 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 the costs were up to like $900 to properly format it for MTV and... It was like a thermals video, and I'm like, we're going to get two plays on, you know, 120 minutes or subterranean or whatever it was, and that was it. I was like, this is not worth, and, and everyone just quit doing it, you know. Yeah, but you used to be able to then go outside of MTV and go, out, go outside of commercial radio. You could still go outside of that and either have college radio or things you could control. You can't control that, but you can go out, still out the current system, you can still go outside it. Well, that's the point. You got to go outside of Facebook. Now it's not MTV, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's Spotify, it's Google. You got to go outside of those places because, like I said, there's aesthetics you want to control, but you also want to control everything, everything about the, the stuff. And you're that will out give there. you a unique marketing position. Because you'll be the label that's outside that ecosystem. And then people who are interested in what you do will naturally gravitate towards you because they won't find you on those places because they won't be there anyway. And then they will search for that flyer that's stapled to a telegraph pole or whatever and go, what's this? This is, you, this is exciting because it's not everywhere. And then become, in a way, what father daughter do. You know, they've got a whole culture supporting them. And that becomes exciting to that culture because it isn't in all those other areas yet. And then once you get to a certain size, you can then tip it over and use the tools that those big corporations supply, which, you know, we all drive cars, but it's using them to your best advantage, I think. And you can use them in some respects, and then you think, I don't want to do this, I'll do this, and this makes me unique. And then you kind of have a campaign that is true to your ethics. Yeah, and within like the spaces like Facebook and Instagram, you're also competing with a lot of content that people generally are more interested right now in than music like memes i mean memes are bigger than jesus right now they surpass jesus in google searches memes are actually higher now as of this year so i mean when you do work within those platforms think about the meme i mean memetics are very important now you have to post something that's going to be more interesting to someone than like an article about Trump or, you know, a BuzzFeed or, you know, there's so many more things I feel like people are actually way more into that right now. It's like the content itself kind of needs to be as, I mean, as interesting as those things. And 
did any of y'all see the Mickey Blanco video for Loner? Like that was totally next level. Visually, like one, it like stood out amongst everyone staring at their phones and it becomes like really darkly psychedelic. But this was like, you know, stood out visually as well as like actually presented really interesting ideas to the point where it was actually like taken off YouTube for, for a second. But it's just like art that, yeah, I don't know, exists it within what people's interests are right now. And people's interests are very, I don't know, the world's kind of on fire. So we're working with art that works within that is is just going to interest more people. I don't know if that has anything to do with marketing. Well, I think if we if we think about marketing as communication, that's really what we're talking about, getting the message out there as opposed to just not having anyone even know about a band. I feel like what you're bringing up is exactly where we're at today because I feel like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm like 50% horrified, 50% excited about the future of music right now because I think that the next few years are going to be really scary in this country, and I think there's going to be a lot more protest music and a lot more bands coming up doing things that are like a lot more exciting. I mean, I'm not going to rag on any bands by name at all, but I have to say myself, last 10 years of music, I've been really bored, really bored in a lot of a lot of the mainstream music and, and a lot of music that people are putting out because it's just not saying anything to me, and I feel like people are going to start to have a lot more to say, I think, pretty soon. Musicians and music, especially our type of music and independent music, is really good at subverting things. I mean, that's what we all do. That's why we're all here, you know? And the way that these things are subverted and the original ideas that we subvert vary, and that's what makes it great. You know, that's what makes it such a... It's still, like, such a vibrant world of music companies and artists doing things that they believe in. You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. But if history tells us anything, we're really good at subverting the system or whatever you want to call it. You know, we're really good at it and we will keep finding ways of doing it. You know, as long as there's people like this who are, you know, thinking about, you know, this is the world, you know, this is the world that I'm operating within and how can I make it work for my guys, you know? That's, as long as we all have that, then we're going to be good at it. You know, we are good at it. That's what history tells us that. And I think that there is a real, um, like, you, like you say, you're totally right, there's a real movement in terms of things that are happening outside of social, social media and very purposely happening outside of social media. And I think you will see that more and more. And to go to Adan's point, I think it's really, it's really true. And I think one of the fundamental kind of communication changes that has happened with you know, the internet in general is that you know, it used to be so top down, right? You know, you'd get a video on MTV and everyone would watch it and you'd get a song on the radio and everyone would hear it, you know, that was, your battle was with the gatekeeper that put you onto those, those spots. And what Adam was saying, I think it's really true, that there isn't really that gatekeeper anymore, but what there is is, you know, you're relying on sharing of these people. There's not a top-down media approach to a new video or a new song, or it's a different... And I think that's more fundamental because that actually changes the nature of the, the dialogue or the conversation. It, it fundamentally changes that, you know. So there is the pressure to do things that are meme or, you know, respond to culture. And that's going to be done well by some people and that's going to be done awfully and it's going to ruin other people's art because they've changed their art to be something or... But that has ever been, it's always been like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it just was a different thing. But I, I'm interested to see how this communication thing continues to evolve. And as these 
systems like the ones that you're running against become more and more try and dominate and and like the medium is the message more and more i think it's going to be really interesting to see the kind of protest music and the protest work that people working with musicians pull off I'm, i'm excited to see it that's only if you hear it though right i think that could easily also see a future where it's completely silenced out because there's actually bigger gatekeepers than MTV. Everything's digital. There's not brick and mortar stores. There's four players, and they show you whatever messages that the major labels want to push. And that might sound paranoid, but it's so easy to imagine happening that I don't know why they're not just going to push that through unless like the consumers change their mind. It's not. It's not at the whim of us. Consumers want to stream. The streaming is always is all coming from the top. Consumers have to decide they want to do something besides stream because we don't seem to have a good option for competing with streaming yet. And that's in theory, a format, but it's actually not a format. It's owned by like a small number of, of companies, and they want us to compete on their platform, and that's different than the past. We could have opened our own record store next to the next to Tower or something, or Tower was even independent, next to Virgin or something like that. You can still do that. I mean, it would mean having a web store, but you can still deal directly with your audience. But you, streaming becomes... But they, if they want to stream, it's a lot harder to stream directly to your audience, right? But that's your like, audience won't want to do that because they'll have the same ideology is you yeah but but they're they won't make players they're already they're they're not making the devices you need to do they're they're, they're i'm telling you it'd be really easy for the corporations to and i know this sounds paranoid but it, they could just get together and say we're gonna make it harder to make mp3 players and cd players and record players and then there's like five streaming companies that are also the same ones making the devices and they're all partnered there's plenty of record players out there for our generation i don't think the record players will run out in our lifetime i mean there's plenty from the 70s still knocking around so those things may become like in those films where people find dusty old computers that were built in the 50s and kind of go, whoa, what's this? Maybe those systems will become that. You know, they'll become like, oh, we've got a record player. I just hope we're getting protest music from the people and not protest music from Sony, you know, who are, you know, or something like that, which is what I think we're going to be, we're going to be getting. But I just, I re- Jesse, you haven't said anything. What? Anymore. Protest music? I don't know. Personally. I want to know what protest music from Sony would sound like. That sounds Beyonce, pretty amazing. The Chainsmokers? Like Knowles is what it would all be against music? Universal. Going back to social media, personally, I think it's super lazy. It's like so fleeting and doesn't exist in the real world. Bands just think that they can tweet and they're going to get famous. <laughs> so not what it is. Yeah, I'm, I can't get down with social media. I mean, I use it as a form of communication, but I, two years ago, I launched like a post, flexi postcard set and I like hand wrote everything and sent it to people and it was the worst year of my life. <laughs> But I had people sending postcards back to me and I like hung them on my fridge and like I met people through this process and it was just so much more rewarding. Like I imagine that's how artists feel when they go on tour and they get to like actually experience it. And social media sucks that experience out. So I don't know, for me, I understand the importance of it and it's a piece of the puzzle, but I think a lot of people really depend on it to make or break themselves and it just seems like the backwards way of thinking. I was going to say, as somebody who does not use Facebook, never have, you do miss out on a lot of stuff that is just available, that information is just available there, and you kind of go, with that band playing? You go, oh, it was on Facebook, we did some Facebook posts. And you're like, okay, I didn't see those, I didn't go to that gig. So it's, there are, until, it's kind of like it's a really powerful medium at the minute, and you can look at the power of Twitter through looking at Donald Trump. You know, he is running the world on his Twitter feed at the minute. Media around the world is following exactly what he's, you know, and who knows what he's talking about, because I don't think he necessarily does. But he's doing it as misinformation, and it's really powerful, and it's like part of his brand is to be outside the mainstream. So in a unique marketing thing, he is very unique at the minute. 
and he's like using social media and it's creating waves in traditional media and then you've got people going yeah traditional media just lies it's not true and you've got this whole dialogue that is insane really but is the agenda is not what the truth is it's who's lying and it's like you know these people aren't true this website with no backup and no checks and measures is true that's the truth and you know it's just the world is insane at the minute because of like social media really and people's total belief in it because they believe it is like i mean i'm from the uk so in the bbc you tend to believe what the bbc says but i don't know whether you should i've got no idea but here there's loads of websites that like people follow and believe this is the truth and it could be fox news which i believe is not necessarily true and honest and then there are other outlets you just think you just no one knows what the truth is anymore and there's no way of checking what the truth is i think at the minute so maybe bands that aren't on those channels, like Joe's, will be the people that they are the truth sayers, if you like. They are bringing the truth outside this system. Joe's on to something. Watch this guy. <laughs> and I, I don't know, speaking to the point of social media, even if you don't like it, everyone's, I mean, the masses are addicted to it, addicted to notifications. And people who are addicted to social media still deserve music. And it's more, I think, rather than totally like abstaining from participating in it, maybe trying to make it better and just making the content better and not just as ugly as everything else. Yeah, so small steps maybe to get the righteous content into the hands of the addict who is like, you know, glued to their phone. It's like, we gotta work within the realm of that because it's only getting worse for younger people it's the kind of the world we live in. I, I just don't see it stopping at any point, but trying to work within it and make it better, it's kind of vague. But. Yeah, it's like, but you meet a boring person at a party, you don't hate language, you know? You don't hate like, oh, those words. I hate those words. You, you think, oh, that's a boring person. And I think it's exactly the same as a, in social media, you know? It's like, it's, it's, just, it's just the way that people talk, you know? and, and I don't, because actually I agree with so much of what this guy's saying, 100%. And the fact that, you know, our daily conversation is now being channeled through these people that we're not in control of, I agree, is pretty, pretty scary. But, you know, I think that, like Adan says, I think social media, some artists, we, I'm sure we all represent some artists who are great at it and some artists that are not great at it. And the ones that are great at it, it has a really, really positive impact in their careers. And you see this every single day. The ones that aren't great at it, doesn't do anything. So, but you know, that's fair enough. That's what that, art, that artist is not suited to that. So you have to find other ways of, of telling that story. And it goes back to what, what I was saying at the start. It's like, you just got to understand the people that you're working with and, and, and try and help them tell their stories and communicate in a way that, you know, suits them. You know, I, I think it's impossible not to have major reservations about social media in general, but, you know, it's also super powerful and it's also changed every, you know, what all of us do for some of the projects that we work on, you know, and, and a lot of those things are for the better. You know, some of those things are for the worse, but a lot of them are for the better. So, you know, and, and the fact of like big corporations trying to steal business away from small corporations, I mean, it was ever thus and it's not, never going to change. And it relies on people to argue against and fight against these things and be heard. And just like the indie label community's always done, you know, the indie label community's always stuck up for itself. 
I mean, it has to. And, you know, now that, that Googles are more powerful than, you know, HMV in a, in a locality, it's only becoming more important. And we have to keep fighting, we have to be cynical, and we have to kind of imagine that everyone's out to get us, because they probably are. But in terms of, in terms of the promotion of our artists and the communication of our artists, I think that there's, there's a lot of benefits to it. And, you know, there's a lot of cool things about streaming. You know, I like streaming. You know, I've heard a bunch of great stuff that I've discovered through streaming. As much as it's not a perfect solution yet, it's still not an entirely bad one. And it has different different benefits, you know. I mean, that's the challenge for labels, I guess, because with streaming, people's attention spans for music is reduced because there's so much available. It used to be you'd have to invest in a record or know somebody had a record to hear it. Go, this record's really good, and you'd be like that direct communication to get it. But with streaming, millions of people can hear those records, and that's really powerful, but equally millions of people can pass on your record very quickly. Go, yeah, listen to that. Didn't do much for me. I've never, li- I've moved on. And talking about bands who aren't very good at social media, I think what will happen, and I was talking to a work colleague about this recently, was that bands will just get personal PRs who run all those aspects of social media for them and become their personality. And they don't have anything to do with it, but just okay it. And then they will just send out information and they'll have these false sort of, they'll just appear more interesting than they are on those mediums, I guess. Which I guess was always the case, you know. Who knows what Frank Sinatra actually thought about anything, but there's a lot of Information out there, possibly what he thought. Right. A thousand miles an hour And the clock was tired Cause when the sun was young It's nice, spoken tongues It's calling out the names And drawing miles to flames All it's now is we'd sing It's birds by the sting
That was Thousand by Horse Feathers. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. This is a panel on innovative marketing taped live at Red Eye Headquarters in North Carolina. Well, I think we have just a couple more minutes, so I wanted to see if we, anyone had any questions for this delightful panel. Mark, step up to the mic. Great stuff, everyone. In terms of marketing beyond our niches, in terms of you know, reaching outside of our current audiences, I would argue really strongly that the only records that broke through outside the major system historically, the key marketing for each of those records was critical acclaim that the barriers you talk about at radio, MTV, it didn't matter if you didn't have a ton of money, if everybody said your record was fantastic, if every review and every feature got behind you, you had a chance of taking that record beyond your initial audience and hitting the mainstream. I feel like we've lost that, uh, if not critical faculty, we certainly, we don't have record reviews, we don't have many features. How are we supposed to grow records that maybe historically would have been embraced as you know, that critical darling that eventually took it to more people. How do we get from A, where nobody knows, to, to Z, if that's mass audience with, uh, without critical faculty? So I, this is something I especially put a lot of thought into because I try to resist that stuff even when it was around. A critical acclaim, obviously not. I think, I think getting articles written about you is not, is not part of marketing is, unless they're like, you know, puff pieces. But as that stuff is going away, like you say, I've been having a lot of discussions and thinking about it too, and I think the answer is touring you know, getting in front of people. And if you really want to get to some like anthropological definition of what marketing is and call it marketing, playing your music to people for 30 minutes straight is the strongest form of like marketing that you can imagine better than an ad, better than a YouTube, better than a radio song. I'm going to make you stand here and watch me play for 30, 60, you could control the aesthetic. So bands got to do more touring. And I think that's been unfortunate for some bands that hate touring. And that's why those bands might not do as well. But the reality is, if you want to talk about something you can control from the underground, it's touring. Because even if you play to five people in a city on a small punk tour, you are playing to them for 30 minutes <laughs> straight, and they might buy your record, or they'll go home and tell you about it. Or they'll remember it. I re we all rem remember shows we saw 15 years ago. I don't remember a f song I heard on the radio 15 years ago, unless I, it was really good and I kept listening to it. And so that, you know, you want to call that marketing, that is marketing or whatever you want to call it. I would just call it what the function of a band is, is touring and playing. But that's, I think, the solution these days is going to be everyone I've talked to, what's working, what's not working, that is the only thing that's really working because everything is, is changing so much, you know. Get on the road and keep playing, and those bands do really, really well because you can't control that yet. They'll find a way once that's all that works, but they don't have one for a while, so. I would say that some of those things have to do with the labels you're on. If your label has a strong aesthetic... Then, if you've got a new band that actually makes a really great record, and your label has a strong aesthetic, it's got more chance than just a band putting some something up on YouTube or on a stream. So, because people may buy into the the label ethos as they perceive it, and that's why labels, even though people kind of there was a while when people go, we don't need labels anymore. Labels are really important because they bring some brevity and strength to releases. I mean, currently we still can't search by label on Spotify, and if you know, that's going to set the trend for how we're going to consume music going forward, then, you know, either we all need to argue. Do you not have a Wichita or label playlist? And yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. People can and search for that, can't they? You can search for it that way, I would have thought. I wish the numbers were bigger then, you know. But that, you know, you just have to work, you know, labels and people just have to work hard, really hard to get those numbers, generate those numbers upwards. But I think labels are really key. 
and always have been. You know, I don't know whether the Smiths had signed to Sire straight away, whether they'd have been as big as they were because they were on rough trade and their whole, that aesthetic, or if you'd gone to EMI straight away, they may not have been the band they were. Rough Trade was a very powerful brand that kind of carried those bands with them. And every label has a, has a brand identity that is, they can grow. The more records they put out, the more success they have, the better records they release, the more they release. Those brands become really powerful. And that becomes, for want of a better term, a marketing tool. Oh, they're on that band, that label. And I like these other bands that are also on that label. Or this band's mates with bands that are on that label. I'll check that out. And that's the power of a label, as apart from all the back-end stuff that labels do that bands don't really understand when they're kind of starting out, all the stuff that you have to do. So I think labels are, as they always have been, super key. I mean, I definitely think, I hope that labels are key, but I mean, to be honest, I would answer that question by saying, I really don't know. <laughs> I've got no idea. You know, it's like, how do you? How do you compete with not just the, the fact that exponentially there's more music to listen to every week, but you're listening, you're competing with the history of music. You know, the point of entry to the, the entire history of music has been completely changed. And it's changed in what, you know, really tipping point 18 months, two years. I mean, that's crazy amount of change, you know, for us all to understand and process and be successful in responding to. Who knows? I don't know. You know, it's like, I don't know. You know, it's like you, you, you make decisions because you think that they're the right decision at the time because you, you make, you know, you're working with someone and you believe in that person and you believe in this, the next step that they want to take and you support that step. And you, like Adam was saying, you try and make that content as good as you can possibly make it. And you, you, you try and get it to, into as many people's feeds or eyes or post boxes as you possibly can. And you hope and you trust that doing enough great things over enough period of time is going to mean that your artist hits that critical mass that people maybe in the media that are that have the power to take an, an artist from here to here, you know, want to care about them and, and listen to that and not the other thousand things they can listen to. That's got to be the goal. <laughs> but is it, I mean, how you do it? Make great records. Make great records. Exactly. I mean, the, that's the, the great thing about the situation now, totally, is that the quality of the music is, is in, you know, probably more important than it's been from the last 20 years, you know, where it really could be manufactured. It really could, and it still obviously can be manufactured, but you're right. Like, make great music, be a great artist. And on that level, I hope labels can be vital moving forward but certainly the importance of the quality of the artist and the quality of the work is huge and you know we could be threatened by it because we're used we come off the back of maybe 20 years of being able to control this stuff or but you know it's actually kind of a great thing you know it's kind of a great thing that there is this focus on a little bit more focus on music than there was you know when i started working for sure which is good but how you make them huge i i don't know <laughs> you keep doing it. I guess you put out one great record, you put out another great record, and eventually you get like a critical mass of people and then you become huge. Or, and you get people who discover your records, however those people discover them. And that might be on streaming, that might be on Google, that might be a YouTube video, that might be a meme, that might be a great tweet, that might be some friend of theirs telling them. But eventually, if you keep doing and putting out really good records and playing good shows, eventually you will, well, 
It's not a guarantee, but the potential is there for you to become huge. I, I was going to say, I've noticed that a lot of, when artists give other artists cosigns, like, if you love this artist and you are obsessed with them, you're going to trust who they, you know, shout out. Like, one of our bands, Lord, tweeted about them, and, like, everyone, like, flipped out about it. So, yeah, just, I think, like, artists being closer with their peers and their colleagues and supporting one another, and, you know, when one band makes it, they bring another one with them. I think that's really important in uh, how artists kind of help cultivate one another. I think that is it for us, you guys. Thank you so much to Red Eye for hosting this episode of The Future of What, and thanks so much to my guests. You guys were awesome. And I'm Portia Sabin. See you later. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Summer Cannibals, Horse Feathers, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. <laughs>